Hello, and welcome back to Lost in Citations, our regular podcast where we speak to the producers of interesting content and see if we can learn a little bit more about their background. Joining us today is Dr. Anna Sophia Hoffmeyer, who is a lecturer at Kansai University. Very nice to speak to you again, Anna. Yes, thank you so much for inviting me again. And the reason I emphasize the word doctor is the last time that we spoke to you, it was before your Viva for your doctorate. So before we get into the meat of the paper we're going to be discussing, uh, how has this changed your life? <laughs> Difficult question. Well, I mean, so much has happened since then. Um, I think it gave me a bit more confidence. Um, for my research just in what I'm doing that would be I guess the biggest change and my daughter thinks it's very cool that I'm a doctor but not as cool as a medical doctor so you know I'm kind of up there but not at the top yeah I don't want to bring that up because from time to time my wife will say we, we should talk to a doctor about that and my son would point <laughs> and they're like yeah no 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 not papa not, not, not a real doctor <laughs> Not, not, I you know, not I know that what guy. that's like. <laughs> so the paper we're going to be discussing is intercultural competence development through co-curricular and extracurricular at-home programs in Japan, which I believe came from your doctorate. Yes. So um, I've been working on several papers, and uh, this is one of them. And this is really kind of the meaty part of my research and my main focus. The last time we spoke about uh, your motivation for the study, but in doing further analysis or doing the writing of this paper, how did your understanding of the topic develop um, during, this, during this process? Has your analysis changed in the production of this paper? Yes, I think most definitely. You know, before I started this research, I had some knowledge of internationalization strategies, of intercultural competence, but as I started looking deeper into it, I found really an overwhelming number of layers to intercultural competence. And something that I became increasingly aware of was how the idea of intercultural competence in itself differs so much between cultures. And we are really making efforts to develop intercultural competence in our students so that they can work and generally just coexist. Um, but the perceptions and values that we add or that we associate with intercultural competence are themselves relative. And that was something that really changed in my perception as I worked through the data. So I'm from the UK, I'm living in Japan, you're from Portugal, having lived in yes. the UK, but also uh, living in Japan. Could you give our listeners, what is your kind of your definition of what is intercultural competence in your background how, how have you how has this developed during your time living in a foreign country working in a foreign language yeah so I think at first I saw intercultural competence more as the kind of the ability to survive in another culture and that that developed as I spent more and more time in Japan into I, I guess what I would call flexibility or adaptability uh, to change to different cultural norms and values. And that's more how I see it personally. But, you know, when I was doing my research, something I found is that foreign language 
um, specifically English language, is very important for the Japanese perception of intercultural competence, which is not something I brought with me, even being from Portugal. You know, everyone learns English. It was not something that I considered. So there was a big difference. It's not emphasized in the UK. It's not emphasized in the United States and all the models that we see there. But here, it's an important part of intercultural competence. And before we before we move on, why do you think it is that it's not emphasized in places like the UK or in, in the US? Do you think that culture and language is not emphasized enough in, in a foreign language situation? I mean, I would say that there are different factors affecting that. One of that is that English is kind of a global language of communication. So if we're talking about countries where English is spoken as a first language, there isn't this perception that you must speak a foreign language to be able to communicate globally. Uh, whereas if you come from a country like Japan, you know, where pe only people in Japan usually, or, you know, people who are interested in Japan speak Japanese, then being able to speak English is fundamental to being able to work with people from other cultures. Hmm. So fo still focusing on your paper, because I, I really enjoyed uh, reading it. Uh, it was a kind of a cathartic experience of understanding how you, you take a, a large body of work and, and condense it down into something that other people might even be remotely interested in reading. But it, it, was, it, it, it was a very interesting paper. During your process, were there any surprising findings that led to changing your opinions, even changing your basic opinions on the issue that you've chosen for your research? Uh, and, and have they altered the way that you're going to approach your future work in this field? I think most definitely. One point that really changed for me was my perception of Japanese university students. You know, I think uh, we often tend to assume, well, at least at the higher education level in Japan, that our students only have theoretical knowledge of other cultures through EFL textbooks that they get, you know, in junior high school and high school. And of course, this might be the case for many students, but that doesn't mean they don't have any strong perceptions or feelings of culturally different others, or even of their own ability to interact with people from other cultures. So when you bring intercultural competence development into the campus or the classroom, you're not really building it from scratch. And this was an idea that changed for me. There will be students who are interested in other cultures and students who show more resistance. So you're not really looking at a single initiative to develop intercultural competence or a single approach. It doesn't work for everyone. You need to consider a variety of programs and approaches to cater to students who are I guess at different points of the intercultural competence spectrum. So that really changed my opinion, you know, of how to approach intercultural competence at the university level. Um, and my approach, I think not just for my research, but for my classes in the future. Well, as someone who is deeply involved in you know, creating courses that will change the um, language outcomes of students at my university, I'd like to ask you for some more specifics. If there was a course plan, what are the things, I mean, of course, we, we don't want to, perhaps we don't want to create a course plan that right. is just focused on your research outcomes, but are there any 
points of courses that we could thinking about things as levers that we can move between what things should we emphasize and perhaps what things should we de-emphasize in order to give our students a better outcome from the courses that they're currently studying? Yeah, so that actually connects with my current research and I'm looking at how to integrate intercultural competence in the classrooms. Um, one point that I would say is adding cultural content to even regular topics is very useful, but also very dangerous in a way. If you go very superficial, if you're talking about what do they eat? Uh, what does this festival look like? What clothes do they wear? You're kind of staying in a very superficial level of culture that reinforces stereotypes among students. Um, so you need to go a bit deeper into the culture. Uh, one of the initiatives uh, or one of the activities I did with my students this semester was we're talking about architecture and we looked at how culture influences architecture, but also how architecture influences culture. So we looked a little bit deeper into that relationship. Another point that I would say is we often tend to focus on differences. How do we do it? How do they do it? And again, that's quite dangerous. We're not completely different from each other. We have similar points as well. So bringing in those similarities um, that students can connect to uh, can actually help develop cultural awareness and intercultural competence. Do you bring them in through reading materials, video materials, listening materials, actual people from other countries coming and giving yeah. their testimonies? Some of it comes from me and from my experiences traveling and working in several uh, different countries. Uh, some of it comes from the textbook or I would say students research into a certain topic. Um, it's very easy to tell them, well, in this culture, people do it like this or like that, but it's more interesting for them if they go and research it themselves, if they try and understand it themselves. So a lot of it comes from research projects, which then they present in the form of posters or presentations or newsletters uh, to the other students in the classroom. And are there any sources that you, you, you put them in the direction of, you know, the things that they, they should be looking at, or do you allow them to choose their own sources for these? Uh, I allow projects? them to choose their own sources, but I do guide them in the type of questions uh, or the kind of answers that they're looking for. Uh, not so much, you know, what do people eat in this country, but, you know, going a bit deeper, look at regional differences, think about why, you know, they don't eat fish, maybe they're an inland country. So more pointing them out, you know, to consider different factors rather than staying at the superficial level. I want to go, go, go back to something specific mm -hmm. in your paper, and you talk about the idea of being confident, or yes. you, you, you highlight confidence mm -hmm. as a necessary part of taking advantage of intercultural competence. And this is something that's come up on interviews, uh, yes. not only on this podcast, but quite widely in relation to Japanese students' uh, connection to English. If a student approached you and asked you for direct advice to be more confident, 
what could you say or what activities would you suggest that they undertake? Well, confidence is a bit tricky. Um, my results show that confidence seems to be connected to exposure. Uh, so, for example, students in the study were more confident about their intercultural competence if they had spent time abroad prior to enrollment or if they had friends from other cultures. So students need to feel confident to kind of make use of these intercultural programs, but they need the exposure prior to this to help build confidence. Um, honestly, my advice would be um, take a risk and join an intercultural program at home or abroad. And, you know, explain that it's never easy at first. I don't think it was easy for us as teachers or as people moving from country to country either. But the more intercultural contact they have, the more comfortable they might feel navigating these different intercultural scenarios. And I think I would probably recommend they start with something small that is not too out of their comfort zone and build it up from there. In terms of risk, uh, uh, particularly in the times that we're, we're going through right now, we're recording this at a, at a time when intercultural uh, related international travel is not particularly easy for yes. people to do. What do you think that universities could do in terms of perhaps out of, even out of class programs to create this uh, situation of non-risky risk that students get a feeling that they're improving their confidence and that they're, they're, they're doing something that's outside of their comfort zone and the next time they'll be better the next time they'll be better the next time they'll be better without having to i don't know go and live or travel to a, a, another country right yes so i mean if you had asked me this question a couple of years ago there wasn't much written or on the subject but um, you know, since the pandemic, so many uh, collaborative online courses have begun. Um, partnerships between different universities, uh, COIL, uh, where you know, two teachers agree to develop a course together and students from different cultures um, you know, create projects uh, together. Um, so that would be a way of doing it without going abroad. Um, of course, a lot of those experiences come from faculty. So, you know, the teachers have to develop the courses, which are extremely time consuming as well. Um, and then the teacher, uh, the students uh, can make use of those opportunities. Um, but increasingly, there are also, I would say, maybe opportunities that are not connected to specific institutions. Um, but Willingness to take risks is in itself a skill. And uh, some students might actually not enjoy online communication. So in, in that case, uh, they might prefer being there in person. So it's, it's quite tricky. Well, you say that, that taking a risk is a, is a skill. Is this something that you think that students who cannot take this risk, they're, they're disadvantaged by it? in terms of language learning? Is this something that's come up in your research? Not really from my research. And honestly, I've met students who are fluent, uh, communicating in English, and they've never been abroad. That's not really my field, so I don't want to make any assumptions. 
but there is certainly, if you think of study abroad as a very useful experience, um, you know, if you're not willing to take that risk, then you might miss out on something, or maybe you just learn differently. So that's something that's not clear in my research and that maybe something to look at in the future. Well, think about this personally, because of course you've, you've lived in, could I just ask um, which countries you have traveled to or yes, lived in or spent, had experience I've lived, with? Yes, yeah, so I've traveled quite a bit, but in terms of living, I lived in the United States, uh, Scotland and England, France, Czech Republic, and then of course, Portugal and Japan. Hmm. Quite a few. <laughs> of those experiences, um, did you feel that it was the longer exposure to that culture that assisted you with understanding the culture and the language, or was it the the, the connections that you had? I, I, if you were working there, that you had, you know, you had requirements that in mm. connection to the language. Which were the were the things that helped you more? I think definitely the connections. If you have the support, um, it becomes easier. So, you know, as a personal story, but um, before, before I lived in France, I had already lived in the United States for a year with a host family. Uh, I, I had lived in Scotland and in England uh, for some time. And so I thought, this is fine. I can easily go live in another culture. And then when I got to France, I had very severe culture shock that I was not expecting. And it was very hard for me to integrate. Um, and part of it was I didn't really know uh, many people in the host culture. I didn't know what to do or where to go, and I couldn't find the support. And I think if you have that support that someone tells you, oh, the office is here, you need to go to this doctor, you know, having the connections makes it easier for you um, to feel comfortable in that environment. Whereas if you don't have it, you know, every everything that happens is a little bit more shock, I think, that adds to your experience. If a student came to you and said, I'm I'm going to go mm -hmm. to, I mean, you're from Portugal. So yes. if a, a student from Japan said, I'm going to go and live in Korea, I'm going to go and live in the Philippines, I'm going to go and live in uh, Vietnam. I mean, these are these are geographically proximate areas. But of course, they are culturally potentially as different from you from in Portugal as right. uh, would be Korea or or the Philippines mm. um I mean I have my own background in in yes. culture shock and culture stress <laughs> and other things like that but um in relation to wanting them in relation to your research mm. and wanting them to to get the most from their intercultural mm. connection yeah what advice would you give a student who said, well, I'm going to be living in Cebu for the next three months. How should I approach this? Honestly, I would say that the most important thing is that they stay open to new experiences. I mean, they might look up how do you ask for food? What do you eat? What do you wear? How do you greet someone? Uh, but in the end, you need to be open. And when someone invites you, you might be terrified. You like you. I can't speak the language. You know, saying yes might be helpful. Um, I did some. I did well. I was seventeen at the time, but I went through this intercultural competence training camp before I went to the United States as a high school student. And one of the things they told me is, 
when you are staying with a host family, keep your bedroom door open. You know, if your bedroom door is closed, they're not going to come in and invite you for things as often. They're not going to come and talk to you. And if you leave it open, they'll walk by. They say, hello. They say, do you want to come and do this with us? And, you know, that really helped me at the time to become a part of that family. And I think that kind of philosophy, if you stay open to the new experiences, um, you might have an interesting adventure abroad um, rather than if you just close yourself in your room. That's really a, a, an interesting piece of advice. And it kind of, <laughs> it, it does relate to your paper as well, because um, in terms of openness, this is what you are espousing through your research. You want yeah. Japanese students to be more open to intercultural right. connections and intercultural communication. And it's certainly something from my background that I would recommend as well. Where are you going with your research from now do you have any projects that you are working on that will you know follow on from this message and maybe take it to a different level yes i think so so the current paper that we're talking about uh, one of the universities i worked with had a lot of international students and a lot of intercultural contact on campus i'm moving um away from that um which is ended up uh, I guess, matching the pandemic, um, which is how do you do it when you don't have international students around and when you don't have many people from other cultures around you. So I'm looking at how we can integrate uh, intercultural competence skills into EFL classrooms in Japan. And I'm looking specifically at the differences between in results between addressing intercultural competence intentionally uh, so talking about intercultural competence, talking about third cultural kids, uh, culture shock versus integrating deep cultural content into common topics of discussion like sports or architecture. Um, so I'm moving away a bit from co-curricular, extracurricular activities towards the classroom. Um, and I hope in the future I can move even further away, not just language education, but also in other um, classes from other faculties. How can intercultural competence be integrated into the content of those classes? Well, let's focus on that word deep, because mm. oftentimes when we're talking about how to construct uh, a language curriculum, we're talking about how to learn about another language rather than learning in another language. So yes. the difference between just EFL or ESL or language for specific purposes, ESP. If you were to give your advice to a university in Japan who's constructing a language curriculum at this time, how important is, is that distinction between learning about a language or learning in a language to develop that kind of you know, intercultural connection? You know, I think, I think you need both. Um, you know, language is obviously related, intimately related to culture. I think if you learn just about the language, you're going to be missing out 
on what will actually help you to work with people from other cultures. So supposedly you are learning English, for example, uh, to be able to work uh, with people in other countries or to go study abroad, but just knowing how to speak is not gonna make you necessarily able to navigate these interactions successfully. But if you're also just learning content and you're kind of neglecting the language part, you'll have a gap. So there's, there's kind of a fine balance. But uh, something my students told me this year um, that I found very interesting is when I, when I asked them to, to tell me about the factors that influence their understanding of uh, other cultures in the classroom, the reading and listening activities were rated very low uh, compared to group discussions, pair work, um, not necessarily project-based, but any kind of discussion in the classroom rated higher than that. And I said, well, why? Because we got a lot of textbooks that address this content. And they told me, because when I'm reading to get the answers correctly, I'm not really taking in the deep meaning of what's being written or said. Mm. So I think that's something to consider um, in the classroom, but hopefully more results <laughs> in that area in the next year or so. Well, in connection to that, I, 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 I accept that it's possible that, that students are less engaged with the mm. reading and listening. Um, if I could ask, how connected are you with the difference between you know receptive and productive language activities and is that something related to what you're giving off in the class or what the students are uh requesting are you a more receptive oriented teacher or a more productive oriented teacher i think a more productive oriented teacher but one thing I think students don't realize is that the discussions we do in the classroom, the projects we do in the classroom, they stem from this, these listening and these reading activities. So they're not useless, but it's the first level. They understand the text first, and then we can take it a step further, where I ask them slightly more difficult discussion questions to, do you agree? Do you disagree with this view? And then maybe the next class we go you know, a bit further, well, consider other opinions related to this topic, or let's look at how other countries are addressing the same problem. And they don't, you know, they're students, so they don't necessarily make this connection between the reading we did two weeks ago and the project we're doing right now. Uh, but that doesn't mean they're not connected. It just means that they felt the reading itself was not as interesting as what came after. But that doesn't mean the reading is not necessary. It's just the first step towards bigger things. Uh, yes, I, I agree that sometimes students, uh, the, the, the heavy lifting at the beginning is often the more difficult thing. And the, and the thing mm -hmm. that we do with them in the classroom is, is probably um, uh, more motivating. But yes. uh, you know, it doesn't mean that either one is, is, is better than the other. From here on in, your research, you have a good 30 years of your career <laughs> ahead of you, at least. Yes. Um, and where, where are the directions that you want to go in this area? I mean, the number of students coming from outside of Japan, once we get through this 
current problem it's not going to slow down they're going to require them um and also english as an international language that's not going away where would you like to orient your research in order that you assist this kind of connection between japan and you know the modern internationally communicated world um i'm slowly starting to get there actually um I'm working with a couple of friends in the United States and in Brazil. Um, and we are discussing creating this uh, session um, where our students can meet and have um, what we call a story circles experience. Um, and this is a UNESCO methodology for developing intercultural competence. It's all about listening uh, to other people's stories it can be quite powerful. So I would like to see how that can be done across countries without the mobility. You know, because I'm teaching English, I use mainly English, but you don't have to just do this in English. There are other languages that are taught in Japan. This can be done in various languages. It could be done in Japanese uh, with students who are learning Japanese elsewhere. Let's see where that takes us uh, in the future. It's hard because I'm interested in just kind of a lot of different topics related to intercultural competence. There are the case of returnees, um, especially with the pandemic, many people return uh, to their home countries without having planned to. Um, you know, they might have reverse culture shock. It might've been a difficult integration. I think I would like to look into that. And just, you know, because I have kids, um, I'm interested in third culture kids and uh, what can be researched in that field. Well, um, I, I myself have uh, two children in, uh, in school at the moment, uh, 12 and nine, and you have two young children as well. Yes. Given your travel and given your connection to English and Japanese and different cultures as well, uh, I want to bring up the idea of translanguaging. Have you heard of this concept? Yes, but I'm not very familiar with it, to be honest. Okay, so it's something that's come up in, in previous interviews. And just as a, as a brief overview, it's that what you try and do is create a, a linguistic situation where the message is transmitted as conveniently as possible. And mm -hmm. both parties, or however many parties are in that linguistic situation, regardless of their linguistic background, they share some form of ability to get the job done right yeah not wanting to say anything more about your linguistic background in your family but how do you feel about this concept in relation to language learning do you think that this is something that we should be promoting in language classes or is this kind of something that we should kind of keep within you know, language use communities rather than language learning communities? I mean, I think that really depends on the goals of your classroom. You know, you have classes that are academic English classes. You have classes that are business English or English for international communication. So you're looking at different goals. And, you know, something like translanguaging might be very useful in a class for international communication. Uh, or communication in global business settings or, but if you're looking at other kinds of classes, maybe that's not 
the way you want to go. So I think it really depends on what your ultimate goal is. Why or how will your students use the language? That's what you want to know. Will they use it for work? Are they just trying to pass a test? Uh, do they want to do writing? So how students will use the language that you're giving them is an important way in how you design your course, I think. So it's not something that you should necessarily include in the course. It's more like, a, like an outcome related. Um... I think so. And I think, you know, it's something you should consider when you're designing your course, but not something you should force yourself to include in the course. So we're talking we're still talking about courses we're still talking yes. about academic related goals and you're clearly a very um motivated yeah. person uh, within your uh, career when you get to the position which i'm sure you will that you're you're running a department mm. what are going to be the messages to the uh, teachers in your department about what they should be focusing on when it comes to teaching english to japanese students the, the, the just while you're thinking about this, the reason I, I ask it is it's a it's a really difficult thing to come up with a curriculum. It's a really difficult thing to come up with a curriculum goal. And it's all contextually based. Based on your experience, you've been in Japan now for 10 years, 12 years, I think. Uh, 10 years. Yeah. 10 years. So is there anything you've seen that has worked very well in motivating Japanese students to learn English in a positive way? Anything that you would absolutely not allow based based on the the you know your um mm. uh, the paper that we're discussing right now you have a focus on getting students to engage with the language for personal purposes you want them to engage across different mm. cultures yeah if you were starting a course from scratch like what would be the points that you want to highlight mm. um, particularly given the fact that it's not just going to be you teaching it but other teachers in right the I, th I think that's the difficult part I mean it's very hard to get teachers to do <laughs> what sure, you say sure. uh, also you know when you're managing teachers they have to buy into uh, what you're selling um, or it doesn't work um, so I would start by saying that if your teachers are not keen in following what you want them to do, it's not going to work because it's not going to come across in the classroom um, as something that students should be engaged with. Well, I, do, I, I directly asked this question to mm. James, James D'Angelo, who I know has, I would say the, the, the kindest way to say it, has discouraged teachers from working in in his department if he didn't have a world englishes uh, if they didn't have a world englishes uh, approach to their teaching mm. and that they found a way to construct a department that had a broad world global mm. english as an international language approach to right. their work but we we know that from time to time we work with people who do not have this approach so how would you perhaps? Yeah, so um, intercultural competence is what I'm passionate about. And I think that's what I would probably push towards is to including cultural discovery and openness to other cultures in the classroom. Um, but you know, there isn't a lot of research done on uh, interculturally competent faculty. 
And if you don't have faculty who are open to other cultures, and I think we all know that there are people we meet that resist Japanese culture, even having lived in Japan for a long time. Um, and, you know, it doesn't need to be Japanese culture, but um, if there is resistance within the pe person who's teaching it, um, you can't really do it successful in the classroom, I think. So I would obviously, you know, push towards this idea of intercultural competence that I'm working on. Hopefully by the time I get to that position, if I do, I'll have a, you know, more concrete idea. But um, you have to have interculturally competent faculty. And that doesn't come just from international experience. It comes from faculty development workshops. It uh, comes from teacher collaboration. Um, but that's a step you need that I would have to address before taking it into the classroom, I think. Well, here's, here's a question that is connected to something that I would always push with um, a former research partner of mine, uh, well, actually a current research partner of mine, someone who worked with the Japanese Association of Language Teachers. And I would say that you have to have two different markers on your uh, presentations. One would be completely blank, it's just research, and one would have to be MM. And the MM would mean Monday morning. You leave this presentation, mm. and on Monday morning, you can go into your classroom and you mm -hmm. can do this thing that opens your students' eyes to whatever it is, whether it's vocabulary, whether it's reading, listening. Mm. Uh, when it comes to intercultural competence, what would be an MM activity? that would open your students' eyes to the importance of uh, culture as it relates to language learning? One idea, I've, I've never experienced this uh, Monday morning um, process, but uh, uh, one idea that I have at the moment is um, give students a game with different rules and they don't know each other's rules. There is a game like this, I don't recall the name, but uh, they're all playing the same game, but they're playing by different rules and they don't understand it. And they're all speaking the same language, but they're all interacting differently. They think things work differently. There'll be conflict, there'll be disagreements. And I think that could be an eye-opening experience because even though they come from the same culture or you know, generally they think, they all share um, the same uh, cultural traits. Uh, even though they are speaking the same language, it could be done in English, could be done in Japanese. They are still not getting necessarily their message across. Uh, they are having issues with it. Uh, they are not following the same rules and they don't understand what's happening. So I think, you know, and they have to solve it through communication and explaining, well, my rules say, what do yours say? No, we can't do it like this. And they have to negotiate. And I think that could be an eye opener for how, you know, language can help you break through this other, you know, communication uh, barrier that you have because of you're following different rules when you are interacting with each other. Well, uh, you, you've, uh, you've said the key word, which is negotiation, which mm. has uh, come up so many times. Uh, in relation to this type of uh, conversation. 
I I don't think there is any way to go through uh, language learning, particularly mm. cross cultures, yes. without negotiation. Mm. And the idea of putting in artificial constraints, like one person knows something yes. that the other person doesn't, but this mm. person knows something that this person doesn't. I think that, that, that that's a really um, yeah. important point of... Yeah, especially in Japan where, you know, so much can be understood without saying much you know such, <laughs> such a high context language um when they find themselves with a situation where they must explain i think that and negotiate that would be very useful yeah i, I, I just to point out to people who are listening who and who haven't been to japan the idea of a high context language is that you can just say a single word but the whole word given at that point <laughs> expresses so much yes. of what's going on uh, <laughs> that everyone else either jumps in or shuts down and yes. so it, it it is a it is a key point of that so to finish today where are you going with uh certain areas of your language uh teaching uh, i mean has your phd no. research changed anything that you did given the 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 materials that you use, the textbook you use, the activities that you have in your class, and perhaps even any recommendations to people who are going through their PhD right now to use their circumstances to assist their research? Yeah, so uh, definitely. And, you know, I'm using my classrooms right now for the research I'm doing. Something that has changed is that I've started integrating a lot of more global issues awareness content um, into my classrooms uh, where students look kind of beyond Japan uh, to what's happening around the world and how things work in different cultures. Uh, I am using a couple of textbooks that allow me to talk about a variety of topics. So we talk about language learning, we talk about architecture, we talk about uh, biology, so, you know, there's a wide range, but then what I do is I build on whatever I have from my textbook and I assign students projects to look into that topic more deeply and from a cultural perspective. So to connect that with culture. Um, and I think that comes from my PhD, that idea that I can integrate uh, culture into my activities. Could you give us some... Uh... Uh, uplifting words for people who may be going through their PhD right now to keep going through what they're going through? Uh, yes, it will end at some point. <laughs> 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 There's a finish line. There's a finish line. No, but I think there is a great sense of satisfaction in being done. But I also would say it doesn't come immediately. Um, for me, it came through small things like someone I respected and cited read my work or requested my paper or cited me, um, or you know, suddenly I was invited to talk uh, somewhere and they introduce you as doctor, which still feels very strange sometimes. Um, but I think just the idea that you're done with your PhD and you're more confident about your research. You're the expert in your research or you get a sense that you are. I mean, that's a, that worked as a goal for me. Um, it will, I think, depend on the person, but there is 
a finishing line uh, somewhere. Thank you very much. I agree with everything that you just said right there, and, and it is <laughs> it does it does come down to when you realize that you're done. I mean, there, yes. there are there are no more mountains to conquer. There are no right. more demons. It's to done. Study. Done. <laughs> <laughs> it's done. So we've been speaking today with Dr. Anna Sophia Hoffmeyer on the topic of her paper, Intercultural Competence Development Through Co-Curricular and Extracurricular At-Home Programs in Japan. I wish you the best of luck with all of the research that we've discussed today. And also, I look forward to speaking to you again in the future. Thank you very much again. Thank you very Anna. much once again. Thank you. If you'd like to contact the show, the best place to find out about us is our website, lostincitations.com. Here you can learn more about the background to this project and how you can get involved. Our hope is to help academics, educators, and online content producers get in contact with each other. Our email address is lostincitations at gmail.com. We also have Facebook and LinkedIn pages. Please rate and comment on the sites you use to download your podcasts. It helps us reach more potential listeners. But probably the most helpful thing you can do is, if you like our content, recommend it to a friend and let them know what we're trying to do. Thank you very much.